The last couple of weeks have been pretty slow with news in the OU football world. Lee and I recorded the show two weeks ago, the day before the Big 12 schedule was released, and there's not much that is earth-shattering. I don't think OU gets any especially terrible draws, although there are some nits to pick if you want to get ultra-critical. But for the most part, this is a schedule that in the preseason does not seem like that much of an impediment to the goals that OU wants to achieve this season. Here's a couple of my quick thoughts on some notable games. I've been pretty vocal about how much I love the season opener in New Orleans on Tulane's campus. The concept of playing a mid-major in their house is something that I'd like OU to make an effort for in the future. Some may argue it presents OU with a lose-lose situation, but in a sport that is rightfully obsessed with history, I like the idea of OU playing in new venues, providing fans and players with a new experience and memory. My pipe dream is a home-and-home with Boise State. Seeing the road whites on the blue turf is a visual I think many OU fans would appreciate. With an eye towards the Big 12 schedule, it seems many are weary of having to travel to Manhattan the week before Texas. This obviously makes sense considering what Kansas State has accomplished against OU in the last two seasons. I get it. I really do. But until Kansas State is routinely putting players in the NFL and not struggling against everyone in the conference not named Oklahoma, this is a game that just does not particularly scare me. Simply put, if OU is as good as we anticipate them being in 2021, struggling with Kansas State is not acceptable and would be a sign of some pretty bad things. I do think the Big 12 is taking a bit of a calculated risk having OU versus Iowa State as the 11th game of the season. I've heard many make the point that OU and Iowa State should play early in the year to better ensure a top five matchup and the publicity that comes with it. I find this argument persuasive. However, I think the Big 12's logic is the belief that it's unlikely either or both of these teams will be undefeated when the game rolls around. After all, OU has been a one-loss team every year they've entered the playoffs. Late-season games that carry weight have been very good to OU in their playoff years. But I do find it a curious decision in the context of those two teams potentially playing again two weeks later. That alone probably would have forced me to play the game earlier in the schedule if I were Bob Bowlesby. But as college football fans, we know all too well that what looks certain in the preseason rarely plays out that way. With that in mind, don't freak out too much about what the schedule says or doesn't say. Just be happy that another off-season milestone has come and passed, inching that much closer to the beginning of the 2021 season. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. And on a first to 10, right up the middle, Alan Patrick to the 20. He will score. No flags. Touchdown Sooners. Bringing it back to November 2006 when Alan Patrick burst through the line into the second level of Oklahoma State's defense and sprinted 65 yards for a touchdown in Stillwater. OU beat the Cowboys 27-21 that day. Hey everybody, welcome into another edition of West of Everest. Thank you for bearing with us here during the offseason as we are putting out a new show every other week. We've gotten some nice feedback and some nice ratings on iTunes over the last month or so, so thank you to the listeners who've taken the time to leave those ratings and those reviews. As always, you can find West of Everest on Facebook. Just search for West of Everest, and you'll find us. If you like the page, you'll stay up to date with the show, and I will acknowledge that we have not provided a whole lot of updates lately. And you can chalk that up to it being February, and there's not a whole lot of stuff going on. However, we have gathered enough today to make this show 
worth your while. At least that is our completely biased opinion on the matter. So with that, I'll say hi to Grant and ask him off the top of your head, Grant. This is the, uh, the, prompt, the, the prompt question today. What's the first thing you think of when I say the name Alan Patrick? Spin move in College Station. Uh, the long touchdown run that got called back because of, a, because of a really bogus holding penalty. One of the best runs in OU history called back. That's what I think of, and I'm bitter still. Wow. Yeah, for me, I think of a guy who was actually really good, and he was kind of right after Adrian Peterson, so I don't know. Maybe he's kind of forgotten by some people, but I remember, I remember he was number 23. That stands out to me for some reason, his number. And thinking that he was a really good back. I, I thought he looked a lot like, at times, Adrian Peterson, especially out in the open field. He has a kind of a long strider. He was pretty darn fast. And one of the more underrated running backs for Oklahoma's had over the last, I guess, 20, 25 years or so. That's what I think about him. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think Alan Patrick has, there's a really persuasive argument for him being the most underrated player in, in the Stoops-Riley era. That guy, he's, he was a really good player. I was uh, pretty surprised when he didn't really, when he didn't make any sort of impact in the NFL. I, I thought he was, I thought he was, he was an obvious NFL back, but clearly that wasn't the case. Yeah. Yeah, sure would have been nice to have him for the first part of the 2020 season behind that offensive line. That would have helped out the the Oklahoma running game, I think. Uh, obviously, when he was playing in college version of Alan Patrick, not the uh, 15 years later version of Alan Patrick. Although, um, you know, maybe he's still good. I don't know. Have you, have you seen him play football recently? I haven't. Lee, um, do, you, do you remember this? We actually um, we were at the game where he got his first carries ever as a running back. It was in 2005. Uh, and it was a home game against Baylor that we were at. Um, we, we left before the end of that game. It went to overtime and OU won. Um, but if, if, if you remember, Adrian Peterson was hurt for that game. He was out with an ankle injury. And um, I also believe uh, whoever, whoever was his backup was also out. And the two main uh, running backs in that game were Alan Patrick and Jacob Gutierrez. And Alan Patrick had just, been, had just recently been switched from defensive back over to running back. Um, and I just, I, I remember that being kind of a fun, I think Jacob Gutierrez ran for over a hundred yards in that game and was, and was pretty impactful. Man, that is a deep pull on your part. Uh, yeah, of course I remember going to the game, but I, I could have told you that was Alan Patrick's first carries. And yeah, I'm looking back at the game log. He had 15 carries for 49 yards in that game. And that, uh, yeah, that was uh, definitely the most he'd had. He, he had his entire freshman season. That was, or, uh. Yeah. That was not a good OU offense at all. 2005, yeah. Oh, I, he was drafted. Did you know that? Did you remember that? I did not know he was drafted. Okay, so, I mean, that, that gives me, like, if you, if you get drafted as a running back, I mean, that's not a ton of running backs get drafted. That's, that's good. It was uh, near the very end. He was a seventh-round pick, uh, second half of the seventh round, so he almost didn't get drafted, but uh, the Ravens took a flyer on him, and... I could not tell you what he did in the NFL, if anything. I don't know if he may even made the team. Uh, and I could do the research and look that up right now, but I think I want to move on to the next thing. <laughs> uh, just what that, uh, it just reminds me that uh, the 2007 team had a really, really good stable of running backs. That was, that was DeMarco Murray, Chris Brown, and Alan Patrick all together. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's, a really, that's a really good three headed running back attack right there. Very nice. Very nice. All right. So the last time. We had a show. We talked about Buki entering the transfer portal, and uh, to this day, he is still in the portal. 
and I also told you back then that I began a rewatch of all of the games since the start of the 2018 season, and I was focusing specifically on Buki's play. So as of now, I've gotten through all of the 2018 season, and I'm about halfway through the 2019 season. Yeah, it's, it's slow moving. It's slow moving. I know. I'm, I'm not going that fast. Um, but it's providing podcast content over time, which is kind of what we need right now here in the off season. So anyways, I'll give you an update on what I have seen during the rewatch. The question at this point, and it's the main question that we're going to answer at the very end. Has Buki been a net positive or a net negative so far since he's been at Oklahoma in the first about year and a half? And so I'll tell you what I've seen. We also talked a little bit last time about Eric Gray and how he was officially at Oklahoma. Uh, that was in the news a couple weeks ago. We did some Super Bowl talk as well. Uh, but since then, and Grant talked about this a little bit on his opening take, uh, about the only thing that's happened that's newsworthy is that schedule release. And so, you know, I'm not a big break down the schedule, you know, 10 months out kind of guy. That's never been something that I'm that interested in. And I'll be honest, I didn't have any clue Oklahoma was playing Nebraska until people started talking about the schedule and that was coming out. And so, I mean, that kind of gives you an idea of how often I look at future opponents. I, I, don't, I don't look ahead that much. Uh, but all that being said, I am happy to talk about all of the interesting angles surrounding this schedule release. So before I go any further, Grant, I know you discussed a little bit about the schedule in your opening take. Hopefully you've chambered some other thoughts that you did not use all in the opening take. Oh, yeah. You want me to talk? Yes, I, I have. Oh. I, I, oh, I strategically okay. picked the ones there just because just those were kind of the three main things that people were talking about. Okay. Uh, yes, if I pause for about you know three to four, five seconds, I probably either uh, want you to talk or I have keeled over and I'm choking. But Speaking you know, about you keeling over, and this is, this is about to be an on-air production meeting here. I was going to say, yeah, I, we, we do this over Zoom. And you had like something weird was happening with your zoom camera progressively like a I don't know, like a piece of cloth just started to swallow your face. I don't know what it was. Yeah. What was it? <laughs> yeah, it's a band-aid. It's it's what I use to cover my camera when I'm I'm not podcasting. I was I was very confused. Like it looked whatever was there, it looked fibrous. And so that means it, it what it was like the pad of the band-aid and I was seeing it like under a microscope. It was weird. Anyway, yeah, so I just I flip it up and it's sticky, you know, and sometimes it loses its stickiness and it just it covers the camera because I ain't trying to let uh, all of the, the tech companies, you know, spy on me whenever I'm not doing a podcast. I'm not going to have that happen. You never know. Lee, big time conspiracy guy confirmed. Yeah, mm-hmm. big time guy, big time conspiracy guy. Uh, so that's the explanation for the camera malfunction. And uh, yeah, I didn't notice it because I didn't have my camera up during during that talk it was it was hilarious like it was progressively going over the camera so like yeah it, it took about <laughs> two minutes so i could see you progressively just disappearing on the screen uh it was like a band-aid eclipse um okay so here's what i want to start with from my perspective on the schedule and i'm hoping that this is something that none of you have thought of or you haven't heard anybody bring up at this point I'm trying to be different trying to be outside the box and the first thing I thought when I saw the schedule, well, it looks like the Big 12 must not think that COVID is going to affect the 2021 season in the same way in which it affected the 2020 season. And I say that because, as anybody can tell when you look at the schedule, uh, there's just one open week for every single Big 12 school uh, or bye week, whatever you want to call it. Uh, open week, bye week. It's, you know, to me, it's interchangeable, whatever. Um, anyways, yeah, the, sc- <clears throat> the schedule point being looks 
like a normal schedule. And, you know, at this time, there's no extra open weeks like we saw last year that were sprinkled in for each team, you know, for the idea that to give them time in case there was, you know, COVID issues and maybe they could make up games along the way. Obviously, it is February, so all this could change down the line. Uh, just, I mean, look at last year. Everything changed in the summertime. I mean, in July, August at the drop of a hat. So, I mean, things can change. We know that. Uh, but I just wanted to point that out, that at least the Big 12 is operating like everything's going to be back to normal or at least as normal as we can be given the circumstances of the pandemic that we're still in. So, uh, to me, this is a good thing, Grant, and I would imagine you believe it's also a good thing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean, they, they proved over the course of the 2020 season, they can make it work even in, you know, even with COVID out. So yeah, I don't, you know, a year later, a year smarter, understanding what worked, what didn't work, um, you know, where there were logistical concerns. Yeah. I, I, it's at this point in time, there's no excuse for you not to just be going full speed ahead for next season. Um, especially now, I mean, if you, you know, if you look at where the virus is going, I mean, cases are plummeting, uh, the vaccine, I mean, over, over 60 million doses of the vaccine have been given out. Um, I, I think we're, we're looking at, especially in the summer, maybe late summer, early fall, where I think we're, we're, we're maybe looking at, at a more normal routine of things. So um, I don't know. It's It wouldn't surprise me if we see a, bi- a big time college football season is maybe the kickoff of normality, back to normality. That's what I would love to see. Yeah, I'd love to see that, too. And we talked a little bit about this, I think, on the last show about a barometer for a lot of people, I think, are, hey, will there be people in the stands? I mean, is it going to be just like it was before the pandemic? Like fast forward or I guess not fast forward, uh, reverse back to the 2019 season. And that was the last time everything was just like, yeah, you, you don't even think about fan attendance. And, and I, I know a kind of a, a generic barometer is like, oh, will this be will stadiums be full? And we kind of you and I were a little skeptical as far as full just because there's a lot of things going on. I mean, yeah, you're right. The cases are plummeting and, and the, the, the virus trajectory is, is better looking better as far as going away than it ever has during this entire time. You know, but there's there's things you got to get past. And I kind of want to dive into a little bit of the nuance of that. I, the question will be, at least in my mind, I can definitely see states heck like Oklahoma, maybe I think Florida for sure. I mean, I think there's going to be states that certainly might just say, yeah, there are no restrictions do whatever you want to do, depending on your stadium, your school, whatever you want to do. NFL, like it's up to you. We're not going to limit you. Or I know a lot of places obviously said no fans. A lot of states, some some states said no. You only have to do twenty five percent. Whatever. The question will be though: Will individual schools, teams, stadiums, will they you know feel comfortable saying, "All right, it's back to normal. Come on in." Because if they do that, I do think that there will be some stadiums that are full because there are fan bases that will go to games and especially considering that the, you know, the vaccine will have been out, you know, a lot more doses will be given out by then. And yeah, it's just, I think not, and even without that, I think, I think last fall, if they would have said that in some places, I think some stadiums would have been, I mean, maybe not full, full, but I mean, would have been a lot more full than they were. So I think to me, that's, that's more of the nuanced question to me is I, I think that there will be, will be places where, state and local governments say sure do whatever you want to do the question will be will the schools and stadiums actually say okay yeah we're going to do it and i don't know that there's no way to know that so uh, anyways i don't know if there's anything else i'm kind of rambling but if you want yeah, to add I mean, any, there's any, to any of that there's some movement there um i know uh 
if you want to go into Big Ten country, I know um, in in Ohio they just recently said that people can go back to sports games. Um, you know, I, I say that just, I'm a Cincinnati Reds fan, and that was kind of the the joke on Twitter this week is that the Reds can have a max of twelve thousand five hundred in the stands, and uh, it'll just it'll just be like normal. It'll be great. <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah, I mean, there's there, there's a the big with baseball. I mean, yeah. a lot of the baseball stadiums. <laughs> Yeah, aren't full anyway, so yeah. Yeah, outside. Yeah, I was gonna say outside of like three or four markets. So yeah, there nobody draws you know full attendance. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I think there's gonna be some movement, and and I also think if if this current trajectory holds with uh, cases plummeting, uh, vaccine you know distribution going up, I, I I think once we get to probably July or August, things are gonna be looking pretty good, and just and knowing at that time there's probably gonna be a lot of pent up demand if things aren't fully open by then. Uh, yeah, it wouldn't be surprised if there if there's some state governments that are saying, yeah, it's we've gotten to this, we've gotten to this level, everything is open, um, and I yeah, you know, I think I think a lot of people listening to this would agree with this, regardless of where you stand on the virus, that Oklahoma probably has a pretty decent chance of being one of those states. Oh yeah, yeah, it's, that's it's been consistent all throughout. I mean, o- Oklahoma's been one of the. One of the states, I don't know if it's if, if, if I say one of the few states, if that's accurate or not, but it's definitely been one of the states that's been, for the most part, open throughout this entire uh, scenario, uh, at least more open than a lot of different places. I know Florida's been one of them, uh, and I mean, those are the two that I'm, more, I'm mostly familiar with. Texas, to some extent, but I know Texas, depending on what state, what state, what city you're in, there's been different ordinances. And, and granted, I mean, Oklahoma City, uh, Edmond, Tulsa, as far as I know, uh, the biggest cities in Oklahoma they've all had mask mandates since the summertime, since July. So it's not like it's just totally like eh, whatever it's. So, I mean, there, there are, it's, but it's, it's not mandated from the top, you know, it's not from, you know, the statewide, it's kind of just your jurisdiction. And uh, anyways, Oklahoma has been that way. And yes, I think you're right that if that was the trend and that stadiums are going to be more and more full, it's a fair thing to say that Oklahoma is probably going to be one of those States. I mean, it, I mean, Oklahoma had, what, 25% of people, and it was no problem, as far as I can tell, this past season, all the games. I mean, and they, I'm sure they certainly wanted to have a lot more than that. And I was at a few of those games. I was at all but one home game, and every time I thought to myself, man, there could be more people in here, and people could still socially distance and do all that stuff. I mean, they, still, they could have probably added another 5,000 comfortably, and it had been fine. But uh, we'll see. Yeah, I, I think uh, – that, again, it's it's good that the trajectory is looking very nice right now, and we all want to see full stadiums. I mean, even in in the SEC, used to, I mean, there were there were Texas A and M and Florida had fifty percent. You know, um, if yeah, if anyone saw the A and M versus Florida right? game in the early part of the season, there was well more than fifty percent of you know capacity in there. So. Um, yeah, you know, it's it. I, I think it's 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 gonna you know it's gonna be about state governments. It's gonna be about the political will to do things. Um, we'll see. I don't know. Things could could just radically change by the summer. Things could be better. Things could be worse. Um, but now, I, yeah, right now the trajectory I think looks pretty good for us to have, you know, if not a full stadium, pretty you know a lot more than last year at least. Yeah. All right. Let's get into the Oklahoma schedule here. Aside from the the crowd discussion. OU plays nine games in a row to start the season before they have a bye week. And I, off the top of my head, 
I don't remember the last time Oklahoma played that many games in a row before a bye. You would probably remember it before I did, Grant. Um, you know, maybe it's happened a lot more recent than I can remember, but or maybe it hasn't. Maybe it hasn't happened in years. I don't know. I, you know, this is this seems pretty unprecedented to me, and I'm sure we'll have we'll have people listen and go back and and look at the past schedules, but no, I really don't remember that many games to start the season. Um, from a fan's perspective, that's great. I hate bye weeks. Um, uh, it's you know. Last, I mean, last year was like torture. Them playing the, you know, the FCS team, and then having a bye week after that was just was was terrible. Um, so no, like I, from a fan's perspective, I, I love the fact they're playing nine straight games. But at the same time, you know, you would kind of would like you know a bye week maybe in the middle of that in case they're having some injury problems, uh, stuff like that. Uh, but I mean, that's that's a gauntlet. That's pretty tough. Um, you know, that's that's tough for an NFL team to do. So. Um, we'll see it. We'll see how it works out. The depth is really going to be tested. Um, it's like one of those things where it's like, I, it's, I don't really have a ton of like nuanced or, you know, complex thoughts on it. It just kind of is what it is. It's there's, there's a potential there for, for them to be a little worn out at the end of it. So I think kind of the important thing is to look at, okay, what's, what's the back end of that schedule. And that's where it gets, that's where you don't really panic as much because the back end of it is at Kansas and then you're at home against Texas tech. Uh, probably the two worst teams in the in the conference. So, um, you know, I don't know. I, I think there's there's definitely some potential there that that could trip them up. Um, but really, I you know, I think in terms of gelling and uh, and peaking at the right time. I, I mean, this is I think this is a good thing for games like at Kansas State and versus Texas. You know, they're gonna have. I mean, they're gonna have four or five games under their belt, and they're gonna be playing every week. So, I mean, I I think that's a good thing for for those matchups. So as you've been talking, I, uh, I've just been going back through the schedules recently, and I'm at uh, 2011, and I don't see, I don't see a, a, a nine game to start the season. I was going to say, it's typically, uh, they typically play three or four games, and there's a bye, and then that's, and that's you know, their only bye, and they've, I think recently they've been, they've been mixing in more byes. I think they've had two byes recently. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I mean, nine games to start the season, I, that that feels unprecedented to me. That's that's very different. So 2011, uh, it's it's not the same thing, but it's the closest I've seen to the stretch. So in 2011, they started against Tulsa, and then immediately had a bye before they played Florida State. But then uh, starting with that Florida State game, they played eight straight weeks. So that's kind of the same thing. Uh, oh gosh, and that that did not turn out well for that team. Uh, yeah, they ended up losing to Texas, Texas Tech. Tech because they were because they were very injured, very injured. Mm. And uh, they had a th- their last their eighth game of that stretch was against Texas A and M. They won, but then they had a bye, and then they went on the road and lost to Baylor in 2011. So uh, RG three <laughs> they had a bye week, and then they ended up losing coming off the bye. Would you say RG three? Um, and if you, if, and I'm sure there's a lot of OU fans who are going to remember this, but uh, Ryan Broyles had a season-ending injury the week before the Baylor game at home against Texas A&M, um, and that at that moment, whenever uh, there was a there was a shot of him on the sidelines um, after it was very clear that the trainers told him you tore your ACL, where he was just in tears, he was sobbing, and I remember that was that's 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 one of the most gutted I've ever felt as an OU fan watching that. Um, because at the time, Ryan Broyles at the time, by I mean by far, and I still think the you know the 
the best receiver in OU history. And I think that season, outside of RG3, was the best offensive player in college football. Um, and I remember that, uh, you know, him getting hurt and then them losing the next week at Baylor. That just kind of seemed sort of like a like a fitting thing to happen, you know, to this team that was that started the season number one and then yeah, just that terrible Texas Tech game where they were injured and then Broyles getting hurt and that that team just that that that's that sucked. It felt like they didn't have a lot of good fortune that season. Ah, yep. Um by the way, two thousand seven started the season with eight straight games before their first bye. So there are some similarities, but I still have not gotten to nine in a row. Okay, I'll I'll stop this for now. Maybe I, I can get back to that um, as we go along. So let's hope uh, let's hope this season's not like that 2007 one with that inexplicable loss to Colorado, which I think I, I think in the last uh, in the last you know 21, 22 years in this the Stoops Riley era, I I, I gotta think they're the two most inexplicable losses, and maybe a third if you want to add in there. 2003 Big 12 championship against K-State. Then I would then I would throw in that 2007 game at Colorado. And then I, I think you'd say this past season against Kansas State. Oh, yeah. Uh, that, that was the... Uh, I mean, and uh, it, before last season, it would, it would have been Iowa State at, at OU. Oh, yeah. But you got you to... That, that one definitely deserves to be thrown in with, uh, with those other three. I mean, I think Oklahoma was favored by... 30 plus points in both of those games i mean that's that is brutal you can't you don't lose outright when you're a 30 plus point favorite that's just and that's happened twice in the uh, lincoln riley era that's like one of his very few uh pox black marks on him black eyes if you will whatever you want to call it man that's ugh, ugh, ugh. anyways um all right going back to the schedule um let's just go through i mean i'm trying to think of the most i guess talkable discussion you know things i guess and i mean okay toughest game i mean like to me it's and this might not be anything but i mean it's it's texas or iowa state i think those are the easy answers because at this time those are the two teams that are likely to be oklahoma's biggest competition for the big 12 title Uh, but i will add to try to be a little bit different and maybe you can shed some light on this for me i'm not sure how good nebraska is going to be or if they're supposed to be any good at all, this is going to be year four for Scott Frost. And I think it's year so far. Oh yeah, like you Nebraska, are. It is year four. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be year four and he's below 500 at Nebraska. Uh, he was four and eight, five and seven, and then three and five last year. I have not done any research at all yet on what Nebraska's team is supposed to look like in 2021. So I, I, I mean, it's a different opponent. Oklahoma doesn't play Nebraska much anymore, but I don't know if they're supposed to be, to be good or not. I don't know if they belong in the conversation with Texas or Iowa State as potential tough games. Do you know? I really don't think so. No, I, I don't know. Um, if Nebraska comes in and, and beats OU on Owen Field, that that would be really surprising. Um, I, I do know uh, SP Plus doesn't hate Nebraska coming in next year. I think they're in the top 35, and most of that is just because they're returning everyone on on a defense that was that was pretty decent last year. Um, in the fi- in the eight games they played, so um, we'll see. I you know I don't know, but that's they just they have not been able to get the the quarterback position right since Scott Frost has been there. Um, I know Adrian Martinez, you know, had a pretty decent freshman season, and he was supposed to be, but he's kind of he's kind of turned out to be more kind of like Spencer Sanders um, than that's kind of basically who he's been. 
Uh, he turns the ball over a lot and is not very accurate. So uh, we'll see. I don't know. This is I. I'm. This is going to be a theme of maybe this podcast and also, you know, the the preseason leading up to this year. Uh, but if, if if OU is is what we think they are, that Nebraska is 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 not a problem at all. Um, that that's just that that's a team that you that you should beat by three or four touchdowns. And uh, if if you're a national title contender, I think. Yeah, and obviously this is not a Nebraska football podcast, but I I did have one other point to make or question to put out there that might be interesting even for Oklahoma football listeners and I'm not sure if this question has an answer at this point uh, but I think it's fair to ask this question Grant is Scott Frost a good coach that's a crazy thing to ask right but but here's why here's here's why I'll I'll give you some time like here's why I asked that question he's had five years of head coaching experience two at UCF and now three at Nebraska if you take away that 2017 season at UCF when they went undefeated and uh, 13-0, and and I think that was the year where they did the thing where they tried to claim a national title, whatever, you take away that season and Frost's career coaching record is 18-27. and 27. He's had four losing seasons, and he's had that one undefeated season. He's 1-1 one one in bowl games. He won the Peach Bowl at UCF that one year in 2017. Uh, and the year before at UCF in 2016, he lost to Arkansas State. 31 to 13 in the cure bowl so i mean i realized the one good year was a fantastic year and that got him the job at nebraska but aside from that he's been a below 500 coach i think the you know it's pretty clear there i think the thing that you take away from that is that it's really hard to to, to recruit to nebraska these days um he, he very clearly had much better players at ucf than he does at nebraska i think i mean that's pretty clear or it's all come down to quarterback. I mean, Mackenzie Milton is so much better than uh, Martinez. Yeah, oh, for sure. He was healthy, obviously. Um, but, I mean, even then, I mean, they had, just trying to think, like those those UCF teams had had some pretty high draft picks on them. Um, I know that Peach Bowl winning team, they had a, uh, I'm trying to think, they had a corner that went in the first round to the Vikings. Uh, I know they had the, uh, you know, the edge rusher who only had, you know, the, the one hand. Who is like who is kind of like a an Eric Stryker clone? He he just he terrorized people off the edge. Uh, that that team also had Mackenzie Milton throwing to uh, what's it Taylor Gabriel, the guy from the Bills right now. Um, yeah, I mean it's I, I think it's clear that UCF had much better players than Nebraska does right now, and it's not surprising. UCF can recruit kind of the second tier in Florida, which the second tier in Florida is going to be more athletic and better than probably you know the Midwest altogether. So, um, I don't know. I, I think this is, I think Nebraska's struggle right now is, is, is pretty, is a clear region, like a regional problem right now. Um, I, I think, I think them leaving the big 12, thus kind of, um, them not being able to go back into Texas anymore to recruit has really hurt them. That's where Bo Pelini did a lot of his recruiting. Um, and now they're, they're in a, they're in a region with Iowa and you know, Wisconsin, and they have to kind of compete for the same recruits. Nebraska wants to win in a totally different way than I won than I won Wisconsin do, and and I'm not I'm just I'm not sure if you can make the UCF model built on speed and execution and stuff like that work at Nebraska these days with the with the players that are in that region. Uh, by the way, uh, Taylor Gabriel was he was on the Bears a couple of years ago. Uh, you're thinking of Gabriel Davis. Gabriel Davis, thank you. That's the guy on the Bills. Uh, and also, just one more aside that I 
just found this out doing research, a little bit of research on Nebraska, their, their schedule. Did you know they were supposed to open the season, this upcoming season, against Illinois playing in Dublin, Ireland? I did. I did. So, like, I wouldn't have been able to pull that, like, out of my brain. But now that you yeah. say that, yes, like, I had heard that. Yeah. But now they're not going to because of COVID. So they're just going to play it in Illinois. But, like, what a, what a crazy way to – starting the year, they were supposed to play in Ireland? I'm not crazy. Yeah, I don't. I, what's the what's the link there? I don't really because like I know I know Notre Dame has opened in Ireland before and that kind of makes a little more sense, you know, like fighting Irish. Um, but I don't know. I, I don't know what sort of connection that, you know, the University of Illinois and Nebraska have to Ireland other than that's great. I mean, uh, people in Ireland get to maybe be exposed to how awesome college football is. Uh, so just to put a bow on the toughest opponents, would you? I mean, right now Texas and Iowa State probably the two toughest games, probably just based on opponent. Yeah, think? yeah, and then probably I you know I would say, um, I I think the I think the team that's kind of immediately behind Iowa State and Texas in the Big Twelve is probably TCU. Um, I would I would pick, um, and then okay. after that I I'd probably put you know Bedlam after that, and then um. But no, like I, I really don't think this is an absurdly difficult schedule. Um, I, I, I do kind of wish the Big Twelve would would schedule with the with the idea of helping Oklahoma. Um, which I don't know if there's if there's any non OU fans listening to this, they're probably saying, well, "What the hell? Why would they do that?" Uh, because that's what the SEC and the Big Ten do with their big time programs, and it's just smart. So I don't know. Yeah, I mean. I- I hear you say that, and I hear some other people say that. In my mind, I think, okay, what does that look like then? Because I, I don't like. How do you know they're not they're not doing that? You know, what I mean, like based on what kind of, uh, I guess what's the right word? Like the this the schedule, the way that they're within the parameters of how they can put the schedule together. I, I just don't like. Yeah, so and I that's guess, why. Like, yeah. yeah, and like I, I bring that up, not saying that this schedule is terrible. It's not. Like this is, you know, I. Um, I just, I just wish they, they were, I wish they scheduled with the purpose of trying to get a team in the playoff. Um, and you're right. You're saying like, what does that look like? And I would just say it'd just be, it'd be one, OU definitely not playing nine consecutive games to start the season. Um, it would probably look like them not having to go on the road before playing Texas. Um, you know, just stuff like that. Not having to play TCU right after Texas. Um, yeah, like if if I had to if I had to pick a schedule, what would be the best? Like I would say, um, I'd probably want to save West Virginia for later in the season. Uh, want to open against like Texas Tech or something like that. Um, I'm fine with, with you know Kansas State being where it is. Um, yeah, that's just kind of what it would look like. Not having a not having tough games back to back, which they they really don't on on this schedule. They 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 actually don't the the, the toughest back to back slate that they have. You know, is Texas and TCU, the other one being Iowa State and Oklahoma State. Other than that, I mean, I think the schedule is pretty, pretty easy. See, I just have a tough time with that because in a way, it's difficult to predict really where teams are going to be. I mean, before the 2020 season, I guarantee we would have been like, oh, this Kansas State matchup looks great for early season. Kansas State's going to not be very good. We just saw them lose to whoever they lost to or whatever a week or two before. Well, when uh, the schedule like came F- out, we thought it was, we thought it was, oh gosh, I don't like that. We have to open with K state and Iowa state. And then they lost week one and everyone relaxed. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and, but so to I me, mean, to me, I just, I don't, 
I don't care. Uh, none of that stuff. Really, I mean, the only thing that the, the SEC does, it seems, that, that annoys me, that they, they always would do, is the whole uh, you know, mid to late November FCS game that they would play before they play a rivalry game, like the Iron Bowl or whoever. Like, and that, it's, okay, okay, that's, stop that. That doesn't help anybody except for the, the one school. I mean, nobody wants to watch an FCS team in, in late November. It's, it's, it's a waste of time. So I, I hate that the SEC would do that, uh, and so. But other than that, I, I just don't know. Like so, like should should Oklahoma play uh, Tulane later in the season? Like because they're not playing an FCS team on the schedule, you know. <laughs> like, I mean, it will. Yeah, they are. They're playing Western Carolina. Oh, that's right. Sorry, Western um, Carolina. My bad. Which yeah, and I I don't I don't my need bad. to yeah. get get too much on my soapbox about this, but I I, I really really despise playing FCS teams, um, and and I I do think Joe C really tries not to. Um, but try harder. They should not, they just should not be on this. Like that Missouri state game last, last year was a joke. It wasn't even fun to watch. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I just, it's, it's silly. Don't schedule those teams. All right. So how about trap games? We always talk about trap games. And for this, I'm going to go to the Facebook page, the West of Everest Facebook page. I posted on here before we started recording, just in case any of your would, would see it. And would it be able to comment as we record the podcast? And Nathan jumped on, and uh, he has a comment that's that's in uh, you know relation to trap games. And he says, "The thought that I've been having is that it's actually time for Oklahoma to not have to worry about a trap game." <laughs> and sure, we would all we would all like that. And so I think from my perspective, and maybe this is the obvious thing, the the obvious trap game grant what is at Kansas State before Texas, but is K-State really a trap game anymore? Because they've freaking beaten Oklahoma the last two years. So they got Oklahoma's attention. So there's no, there's no chance Oklahoma's going to overlook Kansas State this year. But does that still count as a trap game? I don't know. Yeah, you know, I think there's, I think there's four games on the schedule that you can kind of identify that could potentially be a trap game. Of course, you mentioned the K-State game there. Um, and I, I think the other one that a lot of people talked about is at Baylor um, right before Iowa State just because... Um, I mean, Baylor seems to, you know, play OU really well. And it's they had a completely new coaching staff and a lot of different players this year and obviously played OU really well. Um, but honestly, I, the, the one that I think is maybe the sneakiest one is, is, is actually West Virginia. Because um, I, I think a trap game, right, is one that not, not a lot of people are kind of thinking of. And West Virginia, they still haven't, you know, faced Neil Brown. He's a new coach there. Um they kind of, it kind of seems like West Virginia always has some pretty good players on defense. Um, it's early enough in the season. It's the fourth game of the year where, you know, you could still maybe be caught sleeping knowing that, you know, the next week, because you know OU is going to be fired up for K-State this year. They're, they're going to be really pumped up for that game. Um, and so, I mean, with West Virginia before that, I, I, think, I think if you really want to pick a sneaky one, it is, it is that West Virginia one on September 25th. Yeah, I think that's a good outside-the-box pick, and I was thinking about that as well. By the way, I mean, they, they faced Neil Brown in 2019, and they beat the crap out of West Virginia in 2019. He was there, but they didn't play was him he? last year. Oh, yeah. you're right. You're right. Yeah, why was I thinking that Neil Brown year one was last year? No, it's, it's no big deal. But, yeah, no, I, th- I think it's, it's definitely a good observation to point out, all right, you got Nebraska for the first time in forever at – Owen Field, a you know non-conference Big Ten old rival, and then after that you got West Virginia before you play K State, a team that's beaten you the last two years. So you got 
the the possibility of a you know a nice win over Nebraska, hopefully, followed by you know you got that letdown spot uh, going into a game against a team that you're really wanting to beat because you've lost to them the last two games or last two years, and the last time these guys played West Virginia was two years ago, and they beat them by like 40 points in Norman. So yeah, that's that's definitely uh, a, a game that qualifies in February as a trap game. I agree. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely kind of echoed the sentiments of our, you know, of our, of our Facebook group of I, I would really love for OU to kind of have an FU season where they just go through the schedule and it's just FU over and over again. Um, <laughs> and uh, like I that would be nice. I, I think the fan base deser- deserves that. Uh, yeah, that'd be great. That would be great. Uh, anything else on the schedule that uh, we haven't touched on that you want to jump in with? Um, I, I think, think I'm good. I'm not sure I, I said it, but th- their toughest game is is Texas. It's obviously Texas. It's um, I I know a lot of people want to p- point to Iowa State. Texas has has a lot more athletic, talented players than Iowa State does. Um, so that that's the toughest game. And you just throw in the unknown of Sark. You don't know what that team's going to look like yet. Um, so it's you know if they're smart, yeah, I mean, they're going to be. Go- if they're smart, they're going to build their entire offense around Bajan Robinson. Um, and, you know, they, they could be pretty formidable doing that. We'll see. Man, I am uh, in, a, in like an annoying, like obviously I don't, I don't like Texas, but just like in a, in a football way, I mean, just as, as a, somebody who does a podcast about college football and watches a lot of football in general, and it's my favorite sport, I am interested in looking forward to watching Texas without Sam Ellinger at quarterback. I am, I am so ready to see somebody else play quarterback for that team. Granted, if the, the quarterback, which it's very much possible that the quarterback, aside from him, could be a lot better than him, I'll probably be thinking, ah, it'd be great if Ellinger was back because they were a lot more beatable with him. But time will tell if, if that's true or not. Other than that, um, yeah, schedule, that's in the books for now. Uh, the next order of business on the docket is uh Buki Radley Hiles and I want to throw this out there right now we don't have any sort of inside info I haven't heard anything maybe maybe you uh, have read something on the boards you you read a lot more of the insider boards than I do and kind of get that info from from certain uh Oklahoma you know insider websites than, than I do and you know there's a lot of great places out there to find information so uh, go for it, and it's it's great that uh, you can get that info from them. So maybe you've heard something that I haven't, but uh, I preface it with this question. Uh, I preface that by uh, then asking this question, just for the fun of it. At this stage, you know, it's been it's been about three weeks since Buki went into the portal. Uh, do you anticipate Buki coming back to OU in 2021 since he hasn't found a team yet? I think it, I think it gets more and more likely every single day that he hasn't committed to a different school. Yeah, yeah, and. And just, again, for, for fun, I have no inside info. If I had to guess, I'd say at this point, I think he's coming back. And I do, too. Obviously, Lincoln Riley was very forceful uh, when he entered the portal about how he'd love to have Buki back. He hopes he comes back. So we know that publicly. I mean, Lincoln Riley would be very happy to get him back. But uh, here's kind of – I was doing some reading on the, the portal right now, and there are a lot of players in the transfer portal right now and there just isn't that many places to go, I suppose. And perhaps, and this is something that I didn't even think of, but perhaps more importantly, there's not, there's not an unlimited amount of scholarships available. Although that might not be something that affects Buki because of a player of his ability and experience. I think if 
a school wanted him, they'd probably find a scholarship for him, so he'd probably be fine. Um, but again, you know, it's been about three weeks since he entered the portal. There's been no resolution as far as where he's going. You got spring practice beginning here in the next few weeks. So just based off of that, just common the, sense would tell you that. What's that? I was just saying, the word is, I mean, he's still in the OU database. He's still going to classes. Um, oh, okay. So, so yeah, I mean, common sense would tell you, like, wherever he's going to play, he'd want to be on campus in time for the start of spring practice, right? I just, I feel like his, his timeline's got to be two weeks, maybe, maybe three yeah. tops at this point. Hey, and people, like, I've I've seen it a lot. I mean, people do remove their name from the portal. This is something that happens in a lot of programs um, because they have the option to just kind of dip their toe in the water and see you know yeah. see what bites. And um, I don't yeah I I kind of feel like if if Buki was given you know like an opportunity to start at corner so far in the last three weeks he would have taken it. So unless he's unless he really is just kind of testing the waters, thinking hey you know maybe a maybe a good P five team will pick me up and let me play corner. And maybe that just hasn't happened. Yeah, maybe. Uh, and just some background stats. And I guess this is from the 247 uh, Sports Transfer Portal Database. Pretty cool website. Or pretty cool feature of that website. I was reading an article from Sports Illustrated earlier. And it was from earlier this month. So it's a little dated. It was February 2nd. But I still think this information is pertinent. Uh, the article said that 1,500, 1,500 uh, players had entered the portal since last August. So what is that? August, September, October, November, December, January, about about six months, almost seven now that February is almost over with. Uh, 1,500 players had entered the portal since then. And of all those players that have entered and, and left and whatever, almost 60% are still looking. And so as we get closer and closer again to spring practice, it's obvious that time is running out unless you're somebody that thinks, all right, well, I don't need to be there for spring ball. I could still wait it out. Maybe there'll be injuries in spring practice. And I mean, this is like legitimately like free agency in a way where like you see in the NFL, people are just waiting by the phone during training camp or something like that. And then somebody gets hurt or somebody gets cut and boom, they get a phone call. I'm not saying that that's what's going to happen, but it's, it's or like what certain players are hoping for. But it's definitely got to be a reality, especially for guys who want to go and start somewhere for spring ball, but can't and can't find something. I mean, they're going to be trying to figure out a place to go. Um, and also scholarships are going to be running out too. So I do think, I do think a lot of the time after spring practice, there's usually some movement, you know, teams cause you know, guys transferring out after spring practice, after they realize maybe I'm not going to have much of a role, uh, coaches have more of an idea of what their team in the, in the summer is going to look like. So maybe you, you kind of start to patch things up through the portal. Um, if you remember, you know, uh, before the 2017 season, the big transfer was Jeff Bidette. Um, and that, that didn't happen until after spring. So, um, we'll see. I don't know. I, and I've, you know, I, I've made my opinion pretty clear on the show. I, I would really like Buki to be back. Um, and we'll see, like I said, I, I think it gets more and more likely as the day goes on. And if you, if you put a gun to my head right now, I, I would say he's probably going to be back. All right. I'd say that's a good, uh, good transition into what I've seen during the rewatch and, uh, the last episode I talked about this, I'll admit, I was kind of all over the place. I hadn't done enough prep to really, you know, put my thoughts across on the podcast in a, an intelligent manner. So it may have come across that way to, to you all out there, at least when I, I listened back to a little bit of it and I was like, yeah, I could have done better. So I, I've been able to gather my thoughts a little bit more this time to explain to you what I've seen. And again, I've 
I've watched all of 2018, and I've watched the first six games of 2019. And so the question is, okay, so far through his time at Oklahoma, would I, you know, is, has he been a, a net negative or a net positive? And just uh, generally, my general opinion, I would say he's been slightly a net positive. Uh, and it's mainly because I'm not going to knock him too much for his freshman year, which was not good. Uh, it was not good at all. And I'm not going to knock him as much for it because a lot of other players, and I mentioned this on the last episode, were not good either. Uh, so it's, it's not like he was the only one. And I will apologize. I didn't go through every single player and grade them as well. So I don't have exact stats on Parnell Motley, Trey Brown, Trey Norwood, uh, you know, the way they played in 2018 to compare it to what I got from Buki. And that's, I will acknowledge that that, that, that is missing context for some of the things I might say, but I will say generally that everybody was not very good. And so that's why I'm not going to knock Buki a whole lot because he was a freshman and he was trying a heck of a whole lot. And a lot of the things that I, I docked him for in 2018, first half of 2019, have not been an issue. And the last episode, I mentioned that he had a lot of missed chances in 2018, whereas he was close to making a play, but he didn't. And it's a play that he should have made, but he didn't. It wasn't necessarily a bad play, but it was something that he could have made, but he failed to. And he, he either left an interception on the field or he left – a big play, a big tackle for loss on the field didn't happen. As I was going through and counting all of those up, in 2018, I counted up eight missed chances in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven games. Okay, so not quite one per game. But as I was grading, I gave him a negative half point for a missed chance. This is my grading scale. Now, for a missed tackle, I gave him minus one. For just a, a bad play that wasn't a missed tackle, I gave him a minus one. And then for a good play, I gave him a point. And I gave out half points as well. Whatever it was like, oh, I mean, that was a good play, but it could have been better, but it still overall was a good play. So I'll give you a half point for that. And so all throughout my grading scale for 2018, again, good one point. Bad, negative one. Missed tackle, negative one. A missed chance, minus a half point. Buki's net rating, and this is a total unofficial, my own version of rankings, but he came out to a negative 12.5, which, again, I don't have the stats for everybody else to compare that to. Like, you know, maybe Parnell Motley was a negative 15. I don't know. Uh, he, he, wasn't very, he wasn't very good in 2018. Uh, Trey Brown made a lot of mistakes. That actually know? brings I, up... I would uh, guess, that brings up kind of an interesting thing, and I'm I'm sorry for the aside here. This is this is like literally just off the top of your head right now because you watched you know the 2018 defense recently. Who, if you had to pick one player, who was the worst player on that defense? It doesn't it doesn't have to be you know talented or anything like that. The tw the 2018 defense. If you had to pick one guy, who was most responsible for the defense being bad? That's a great question. I know exactly. I know exactly who I would pick. I'm just curious what you would say. I, I, it's tough because the secondary was terrible, and I don't think, I don't think one guy stands out. I, I think they're all have shades of bad that that added to 
just the bad. I mean, I'll I'll tell you who weirdly at the end of this the season, I came away thinking like, eh, okay, that that guy was not terrible. And I, and you mentioned him I think last episode, Robert Barnes. <laughs> Robert Barnes was a sure tackler, and he he like didn't miss any tackles. And the the one time he kind of. Actually, you know what? I was thinking of 20, 2019, he ended up getting put in a weird spot. Like 2019, obviously, he didn't play much at all whenever Alex Grinch got in. So I can, I can tell you who the best secondary player was. Probably It was probably Robert Barnes. Now, the worst, um, are, do you, I, I know you guys said the whole defense. I, I can't say anybody from the defensive line because it, I, just, I didn't watch close enough for that. Linebacker. I mean, the linebackers weren't good either. I mean, it, it, so it. It was all in the scheme they were playing, uh, but I, I can't pick the one. Who who were you thinking? Who do you think? I was, was going to say Kenneth Murray. See, I was kind of wondering if you were going to say Kenneth Murray, and that's and like uh, and, and I'm, he was awesome. He was awesome. His junior season, he was awesome. He was he he lived up finally to the hype and everything. His junior season, he he was he was not a good player for OU in 2017 and 2018. Um, and I and I'd actually say we we've both said that the best player on that defense was Neville Gallimore. Um, I, yes. I mean, the second best player on the defense was Curtis Bolton. Yeah, Curtis Bolton actually had a pretty good year. And to give a little more context of it, I will uh, I'll bring up some PFF stats because that'll kind of give you an idea. And I was kind of going back and looking. Okay, whenever I I graded Buki on each game, I was curious on what PFF had. Form. And, and actually, whenever I determined that he had a good game or a bad game, this PFF numbers were pretty similar to what I kind of saw in the field. So I think they're, they're pretty legitimate. And I'm pretty sure as I pull it up and b- buy me some time here. Um, uh, I know Buki did not get graded very well in uh, 2019, but I'll, I'll get to that later. Uh, so anyways, 2018 was not good. Uh, it was not a good year for anybody. But what's interesting, though, is that in 2019, in the first six games, obviously when Alex Grinch has come along, he has been a net positive for the team. And the same grading scale that I, I had for 2018, I'm using in 2019. And actually in 2019, I'm watching the other secondary players a lot more as well and making sure that I mark down when they have a bad play, a missed tackle, a missed chance, and so on and so forth. And so far through the first six games, and actually the last game I watched was Texas, which I went back and listened to our podcast after the Texas game in 2019, and both you and I were saying that was Buki's best game. And grading-wise, in 2019, the Texas game was actually his, well, it was his best game given the competition. I graded out his South Dakota game, actually the best game. But you know why? It's because I gave him a bonus point for having a pick six. So he had, a, he had an interception, plus I gave him another point for getting a touchdown. So I was like, yeah, I mean, you get, you get extra points for a pick six. That's great. Uh, but through six games, it, it, and remember, the 2018, throughout the entire 2018 season, his, his rating that I gave him was minus 12 and a half. But through six games in 2019, his rating is 2.5. So he's over, he's over zero. He's in, he's in the plus territory. And I would bet that other players in the secondary are not in the plus territory. Like, for instance, Pat Fields, I'm looking at him. Pat Fields and, and Trey Brown are both in the negatives after six games. So through six games, Buki is playing better than a lot of players in the secondary in 2019. So there was improvement there. He is playing better. Missed chances, zero. 
there hasn't been any plays where he's been like kind of close and hasn't made the play. It's either he's there, he makes the play, or he doesn't. Uh, he hasn't had any drop picks, uh, drop interceptions. He's he's made the plays that are there. Granted, the the one consistent thing I have seen through 2018 and 2019, and this is something that is not a mirage for anybody that's watched Buki. Can't tackle. The guy cannot tackle. He never went out of tackle, and that's the sad thing. He in 2018 he missed 10 tackles. So far in six games in 2019, he's already missed six. So he's averaging one missed tackle a game. And that's his biggest knock because the bad things, and I count missed tackles separately than bad. Like bad would be like a bad penalty or a boneheaded play. Like, God, what are you doing there? And I, I wrote down a couple notes. For, you know, for example, like he committed a really, really dumb holding penalty in the Texas game, actually. Not needed. It gave Texas an extra 10 yards, and it led to Texas getting points at the end of the first half. It was an idiotic holding penalty. And, and oh, by the way, he did not get penalized at all in 2018. Zero penalties in 2018. Uh, so that was, that was not an issue for him in 2018. But the main thing in 2019 that has been negative has been the missed tackles. In six games, he has six missed tackles. But as far as bad things in six games, aside from the missed tackles, I've only counted two things, two in six games. And in 2018, I gave him 10 good things in 11 games and by the way the last two games of 2018 he barely played texas and alabama and the west virginia game he got benched because he he was really bad in that game so again 10 good things in 2018 through six games in 2019 buki already has 10 and a half good things i mean amazing improvement he played a lot better and it's obviously you wonder what is it it's the system it's he was put in a lot better spots he's playing closer to the line of scrimmage he's playing a lot more true nickel he's playing up in the line i guess slot corner you would call it and this doesn't even take into account all the times where he is lined up on a guy and they you know they don't go they don't throw his way or you know maybe maybe you know maybe he covered somebody pretty well and i just you know i didn't mark it down and i mean that happens a lot like it's just he's not part of the play so overall he's been good he's been good in 2019 through six games I got what one two three four five six seven I got eight more to go in 2019 but uh I've been pleasantly surprised with the way he's played so far in the first six games of 2019 and you know maybe you remember it that way and maybe some of our listeners remember it that way but I'll be honest I didn't remember it that way I I went into 2019 thinking that I was going to probably see some more bad, some missed opportunities. The, the one thing, as I'll just reiterate, is tackling. Tackling is not good, but everything else has been solid. So that's where we are so far. Uh, overall, not very good at all freshman year. Nobody played well freshman year for Buki 2018, but as a sophomore, he's been good, and he's been better than most players in the secondary. All right. Cool. It's going uh, to be really funny when uh, he just comes back and – all the conversations the fan base has had over the last month are completely moot. I'm, I'm really happy I'm doing this because whatever happens, I'll, I will have full, clear thoughts and evidence of whatever he has been. And so, yeah, I guess, yeah, my, my, my memories of Buki throughout 2019 are like a, a very noticeable absence of terrible plays. And I just I remember seeing him make just small little great plays over and over again that don't really show up in the box score. 
Um, and so, like, I, I feel like if you went through and kind of graded it more and you found plays where it's like, yeah, he covered well and the ball just didn't come his way, that's a good play. Um, and I, I, I think if, if you even dug into it deeper in 2019, you would, you would see that over and over and over again. Um, you're, like, I, he's not a good tackler. That is not something I will ever defend. Um, he is what he is. He's a slot corner who is good at covering. And that's, that's, that's my point. Um, and just to reiterate the point one more time, you, you just don't turn those guys away, especially when they're going to be in their fourth year in the program. You just don't. Well, I'm, uh, I'm very interested to watch the Iowa State game because I know that over and over and over again, you've said that he erased Charlie Kohler in that game. And so I'm interested to go back and rewatch that to see how many times he actually was lined up on Charlie Kohler. Now he did well enough in that game to that they felt like they, he could do it again in 2020 in their first matchup. And that, we'll that did not work out. It, that yeah, did not did work not. out. No. Uh, all right, so that's the Buki rewatch update. We'll have more in the next episode. I will uh, hopefully be through the 2019 season at that point, uh, which will definitely include one of the dumbest football plays I've ever seen in my life, that stupid LSU play, which I'm going to love go back, going back and watching that and just shake him. Oh, okay, but Why, like, I will be interested to see, is that going to be you know one of very few bad plays on the air when it comes down to it? Maybe it will be. Why on earth would you, would you want to watch that game? I'm dead serious. I don't want to watch it, but... It's for the it's for the listeners, man. It's for the knowledge. I think I I think the listeners would probably prefer that game just kind of stays unmentioned forever. Uh, probably. Um, so that's the brunt of the show. But you know, I texted you earlier today, and we haven't talked at all about the NCAA football game. Apparently, coming back at some point. We're not really sure when yet, but that was a new story. I'm not sure if it came out before our last podcast. I think maybe it did, and we just, you know, we didn't talk about it. But now that we don't have as many things to talk about for this episode, I figured let's bring it up because anybody that likes college football that's, you know, probably around our age in their 20s, 30s has probably played NCAA football. Uh, it's, it was one of the most popular video games ever, or for, you know, sports video games for, for football fans. You know, obviously you and I played it for years and years and years. And so the thought of that coming back is obviously interesting and I don't play video games anymore. I haven't played video games in probably three years, three, four years. And I'm somebody who, you know, probably 10 years ago, I know I was saying, Oh, I will play video games forever. There's never going to be a time when I don't play video games. They're too awesome. I love them. And here we are now. I don't play them anymore. I just, I, yeah, it's crazy. But I know, I think you play them every once in a while still. And I, I don't think if in subway football came out, I don't think I would, you know, rush out to buy the new system to, to play it. However, I will say this, and this is kind of what I want to get into. We don't have to talk about it right now, but if 2K Sports developed a college football game, I would think very hard about getting that, getting a system and buying it because uh, 2K Sports has not had a football, like a real football game since 2003 or 2004, whichever that was, or 2005. 2004. And uh, you and I are big fans of uh, NFL 2K football from, uh, you know, the, yeah, 2005. All? And I know that most people are like, oh, what are you talking about? Like EA Sports and NCAA football, Madden, that's, that's awesome, great. Like, yeah, not on this podcast, no. Like, like don't get me wrong, EA Sports, NCAA football was a good game, sure, but... Uh, but I think 2K Sports, if it's the same kind of people, and if they actually wanted to do it, 
they can make a game that would blow an, an NCAA football reboot out of the freaking water. And that's what I hope happens. I hope that since there's no sort of licensing agreement with the NCAA and EA Sports or anything like I hope anybody's allowed to make an NCAA football game with the NCAA license, and I hope 2K Sports jumps into the, fr- the fray and says, oh, we're not allowed to make an NFL game anymore. We haven't been allowed to for 15 years. Now it's time to flex our muscles and make a college game better than anything anybody's ever seen before. If that happens, again, I would think long and hard about buying a new system and buying that game. Well, as the, uh, as the resident video game uh, player and follower of the industry on this podcast... I am here to disappoint you. That is never going to happen. <laughs> that is a, that's, I mean, that would be great. I'm, I'm glad that you would, uh, that you think that. Um, just kind of how the industry goes and what 2K is working on right now, that's just not going to happen. They, um, the NBA series. So what happened, um, what happened is a lot of the people who worked on the NFL 2K series are now working on the NBA 2K series, um, which is the current best video game series um, in the world. And uh, I actually, I just bought NBA 2K21 a few months ago uh, when I got the new Xbox, and it's awesome. It is awesome. Um, I've I've pl- I've been playing it a ton. I don't even like the NBA, and I've been playing it a ton. Um, and so, of, of course, with Lee, you, the thing you got to know about Lee is that when any t- any time we talk about sports, video games, or football, or anything like that, all roads lead to the NFL 2K5 versus Madden uh, debate. Which I'm sure there's people on this podcast who are similar age as we were back then. That was a big deal. That was a huge debate because um, you remember NFL 2K, NFL 2K5, which was the last in the series, which came out for the 2004 season. Um, it was twenty dollars, and that was the that was kind of the big deal. Is that they they sort of uh, they got ahead of Madden in the market, and it became really popular for the twenty dollars, um, and. Uh, it's it's too bad because after that, that's when Madden completely uh, bought or uh, the NFL license or the uh, the NFL gave out the license just exclusively to EA, um, and that's that's been a really bad thing because Lee NFL Two K Five is still the best football game ever made. Um, there are more features in that game, uh, which came out sixteen and a half years ago, than there are in the most current edition of Madden, um, and everything. That NFL 2K5, you know, 16 years ago, does better. Everything. They do better than everything than Madden does now. Um, and I'm sure if, if there's people who disagree and want to get in on this fight, uh, you know, message us and stuff like that because this fight is a lot of fun. I love it. Um, but no, let's, let's go back to the NCAA, you know, football game. And this was, I, I think this was announced a, a few weeks ago, kind of. Um, and it was it was a big deal on social media and Twitter and you know a lot of people you know who who missed the game were excited including me. Um, I think a lot of people who play video games and who loved this game it was always kind of a tradition. This game came out the same week every single year in July, um, and it was always it always felt like once that game came out it was college football season. Um, since then, kind of the wait between July and the beginning of September has been way worse. In the you know the last seven eight seasons because you don't have it like that that always kind of quenched our college football thirst. Uh, it always came out the first the first week of July. Always came out the first week of July. And um, I have I, I I can't really begin to explain to you how much I have missed that game. Um, just uh, just to satiate you know those uh, you know the, the cravings of college football that I had at that time. And so 
the news of it coming out a few weeks ago was was met. I, I'm I'm really pumped up. I'm really excited. Um, I, I there's times Lee where I just um, where I, I I have like thought exercises and I and I think tons and th- like what I would do if I was if I was the lead the the lead game developer what what I would do for this game and there's just um, if if they really put the time in and if they, they don't make it a cash grab like like they kind of have with all of their other sports franchises and they really really put enough care into it there's just there's so much that could be in a college football game especially with these new consoles um and how powerful they are and how smooth and how great everything looks um man there's just so much potential for an awesome college football game uh so uh, it could be so deep um and I, and I'm just really excited to see what you know what what they're going to come up with. So I, I don't anticipate this game being out at least for another two seasons. Um, I, I would say the most likely would probably be the July you know July before the 2023 season is when I would I would guess that it will come out. Um, just just knowing you know video games take a long time to make. They're not um, the only reason why these you know the Maddens and the Fifas of the world can come out. You know in the nine month turnaround time they basically have is just because they have the engine completely built and stuff like that. And that's why a lot of these games there's not big changes from year to year, just because they know it's they they know they can make money. You know doing the exact same thing over and over again. So um, I, I'm hoping kind of you know the the fact that this is a, a, a you know a dormant franchise that has a really dedicated fan base. It makes me hope that they're gonna that they're gonna spend a lot of time and really be thoughtful about this thing, um, and, and make sure that it's not just you know haphazardly thrown together. Um, uh, because I, I'm really excited. This this is this is uh, by far my favorite video game of all time, um, and uh, you know I'm excited to be able to play it again, especially on these new consoles and and seeing you know the beauty and you know what. Yeah, that's just that's just that's that's cool to me. So uh, we'll see what happens. So I want to go back to something you said at the very beginning, though, about how a 2K game is not going to ever happen. Uh, why, why do you say that? Why, why not? Well, because I mean, this is just I mean, this is just kind of a, a wish and a want for you. Um, 2K their their entire operation is based on the NBA games. They have I mean, it's a those games are a, a like an international phenomenon. A lot of people overseas play them as well, um, and they and so it's been a while since you've been into video games. But the sports games now, um, the big the, the big time modes in all these sports games are like are kind of like the ultimate team stuff where you um, where you get like packs of cards and they're you know the different players are different overall ratings and you you continue to build your team and you play online against other people. Those are the most those are kind of the most popular um, uh, popular features, or maybe not the most popular, but it definitely makes them the most money because those that's the feature where they can do microtransactions. Um, and I know um, there's a lot of controversy because I know you know the fan base of the NBA 2K games has has kind of said you know the microtransactions in these 2K games have been you know kind of over the top and crazy the last handful of years, but they make billions of dollars doing it. Um, and I just I um, 2K right now is a brand. Um, I, I I really think that everything is probably just into their NBA product um, because they're doing extremely well. And um, sure, well, maybe yeah, maybe why there they is do both though. You're, why I, they do you know, both? Yeah, it, it was there, and there used to be a 2K college game. If you remember, in the early 2000s, it happened. I think there were like two versions of it. Um, 
Yeah. You're right. It would be great. And they also used to make a college basketball game as well. So that, that's another thing. I hope this I hope this also means the return of college basketball games as well. Um, but, you know, we'll see. Um, I, I just think it just seems really unlikely is all. Um, right. EA, but- EA kind of has sort of a leg up here because they're a mega corporation. They have a lot of money, a lot of money on hand. And so this is kind of a drop in the bucket to them. And, uh, you know, 2K is... Um, is 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 kind of a smaller outfit and uh you know we'll see so here here's my mindset my mindset is okay if if i still think about this stuff 16 years later i know you do too uh, it just i am so annoyed with ea and the fact that they they bought that nfl license or the nfl actually agreed to it as opposed to just letting anybody make a game uh, you know licensed by the nfl which ended up killing competition which is therefore made madden just the same thing over and over and over again and there's no other alternative point being the fact that i think about this still and i'm not really into video games anymore but this is like the one video game issue that i am interested in obviously you're into it as well there's got to be people at 2k that have worked in this business for years that were around and are very much aware of what happened and are not happy with it and the only reason they're not making a football game right now is because they can't make an nfl game they're not allowed to so my thought process is now if a college game is available and there's no limitations to it, I'm hoping that there's people involved with production over there that think, all right, this is our time to finally come back out with a, a football game that people would be interested in because they tried out that all pro football a couple of times that had like old time players that weren't current, you know, and didn't have real teams. And it just, I mean, not many people bought it because there's just no, if you can't play with the real actual teams that are current, you're not going to have yourself a game. I mean, you're just not going so, to. Can I, can I tell you a little bit of news here? Um, so I, I thought I had seen this, but of course it kind of receded into the background because you know this was this was a lot. This was this story came out literally two days before our entire country shut down. Two um, K returns to making NFL uh, NFL video games, but not a Madden competitor. And so it's supposed to be a non-simulation game. It will have the NFL yeah, I, license. And yeah, so no, I, I've, I've read about this. It's, I'm reading it's this. An, it looks like nothing. it looks like it's going to be more kind of like NFL Street. It'll be one of those games, not. Right. Um, and so I would say it's much more likely they get back into the NFL space with an NFL simulation because I think you could definitely make the argument they, that this move is definitely though. is in is in is in, in anticipation of maybe that NFL license opening back up for a simulation. I want to say I, I have to Google this right now. I'm pretty sure that that got renewed again recently, and it's still like another five or five or ten years or something. Like it's it's not like it's not going to happen. Like NFL's not, or EA is not going to let that thing go. I'm pretty sure it's already been renewed. Yeah, you might be right. So yeah, I I read about that as well. That kind of like NFL blitz whatever thing that 2K is doing, and it's it's a nothing dumb thing. Like I don't. That no one's gonna. Well, some people might care, but and okay, I take it back. It's not a nothing thing. It's something in the in the sense that it's telling me that 2K is still interested in football, and so that's why I think if they can do a college game, if they're allowed to do it, and it's a real simulation of college football, I'd like to think that they'd have people that want to try that and be competition against EA Sports's version, and then you have two two games, and then. That helps the consumers because then they keep competing and they want to make it better and more people will buy it. And 
that's what we don't have right now with the NFL. And that's why it was so bad that the NFL allowed EA Sports to, to get that license or however, however it worked. I mean, I, I, I mean, the NFL has the ultimate say. I mean, they could say, no, nah, we're not going to sell you the license. We're going to be able to let 2K do it. We're gonna, if, if you know, pay us enough money, we're going to let anybody do it. But apparently the NFL just wanted EA Sports to be the exclusive thing. And it's the NFL, so they know people are going to buy it every year and they're going to make a lot of money off of it. So there's no incentive for them to... Uh, to give a thumbs up and encourage competition in the marketplace for a better, a better video game. Yeah. And so it's been, it's, it's been a while since you've played these games. And so a, a lot of these, a lot of these sports games, and it, it doesn't really matter which, you know, which publisher is, is making them. Um, especially now with Madden, they've, they've nailed kind of the gameplay of it pretty well. Um, I've, I've been I've been playing you know the last two versions of it and they're both pretty similar in terms of gameplay but there's there's just not a lot of things that they can do to improve the gameplay at all um, where a lot of the sports games now uh, fail and it's it's kind of unacceptable with with the power of these new consoles is the crowd they, they just they can't nail the crowd they just they, they don't get it and and the presentation is bad uh, in all these games. Um, the, the, the presentation in the NBA 2K games is, is really good, uh, but the crowd is bad, is really bad. And uh, I, I just want, I, I kind of feel like, you know, the, the first game that really just nails the crowd, like gets it right. Like they, they can't even get the crowd to cheer correctly when something good happens or anything like that. Um, like you, you, it's, there's, you, you can't even tell like there's no difference in the crowd noise about when someone scores a touchdown or if, like or if something else happens it's just they just they do a really poor job of it and um I, I, I I've just kind of felt like you know the first the first sports game that really nails the crowd it's it's gonna be really popular people are going to understand and get it and uh, I, I really think that that's that's especially with these new consoles um, and the power that they have that's what they need to focus on they need to focus on atmosphere and presentation especially in Madden. In Madden, it's, it's awful. It is awful in Madden. Yeah, and that's what's always turned me off with Madden and what NFL 2K5 did so well compared to Madden because whenever I play a video game, a sports game, I want it to feel like I'm watching the game on TV and Madden always had more of like an arcade-type feel to it where, uh, and, and obviously a lot of people are not in my same camp. I mean, they, they just want to play the arcade kind of style game one-on-one and that, whatever, that's fine, I guess, and it's worked out for him, but I, I'm with you. I, I like the presentation. I, I like the video game I'm playing to look as much like a real game on TV that, that it can be, and that's what NFL 2K5 did. It had the ESPN license, and it was pretty close to watching like you know Sunday Night Football back when ESPN had Sunday Night Football, which kind of makes us feel dated now because that was a thing. ESPN had it. And, and by the way, yeah, uh, EA Sports and the NFL – they renewed the license in May of last year. So now it, it runs through May of 2026. So that they're never going to let that thing go. And, and so if 2K ever wants to get back into football, this is it with college football now that that's on the table again. And I, I really hope that that's a thing that's happened. I realize it's not likely because they haven't made a college game. They haven't made a football game since, you know, in 16 years, but – I'm hoping there's people at 2K that love football and have for years and years and years wanted the chance to go against EA Sports uh, in a fair fight. And this will be, in my estimation, the first time they can do it in 16 years. So 
that would be cool. Yeah, I mean, there's one, there's you know, there's one sport where those two companies are competing, and it's in the NBA sphere because NBA Live exists again, and NBA 2K is 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 just is a lot better, and that's kind of taking it lightly. So, um, I don't know. I kind of want to. Um, I like. I, I have just so many ideas, you know, for what an NCAA football game would look like. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go into them now. But if if anybody had, you know, wants to talk about this, if anybody wants to drop us like a message on Facebook and say what they want to see in the new NCAA football game. This is stuff that I love. I'm, I'm very, very willing to talk about this um, because I, it's, it's, it's just fun. And I, I think it's, especially with these new consoles and all of the power, there's just so much cool stuff you can do with like history and stadiums. And um, like, so I just, just thinking of like a dynasty mode, how cool would it be if it is just fully uh, customizable? Um, you can do a, like, especially if they're not going to be beholden to the NCAA license. Uh, you can do the college football playoff. Like, I, I think you should be able to have the option to go back and do the BCS if you want to. Um, you should be able to do a 2014 playoff if you want to. You used to actually be able to do that in the old NCAA games. You used to be able to do a playoff. Um, so, you know, I... Really? Yeah, uh, back when it was, like, on PlayStation. Like, I'm talking... This was before, like, Chris Winkie was on the cover. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, so... Yeah, I mean that's the stuff I would love to see. Like, how cool would it be if you if if you if you put like all classic uniforms for every program in there? Um, I just, I mean, stuff like that would be fun. And of course, you, you know, you you want to make sure that the stadiums are really accurate, and you want to make sure that the the crowd is great, and a lot of the traditions are in there. And it's just, it's just, uh, it's it's a perfect game for you know for a col- for someone who loves college football. Um, and I, I I can't wait till that game comes out so I can just sit and bask in it and nerd out. You know, I'm I'm really excited. Yeah, and as we wait to get some sort of resolution to all this uh, name, image, likeness stuff with the NCAA, which they keep kind of kicking down the road, it seems like. I know a lot of universities are kind of expecting it to be agreed upon or passed or whatever the proper language is to to get that legislation through. The way I, I understand it, I mean, if if players are able to – I guess, profit from their name, image, likeness. And that's a big reason why this game, I guess, is coming back, I suppose, because now that that's a thing. My question would be, will this be kind of like, you know, Madden and NBA Live where, I mean, I know there's a bajillion, I mean, there's a hundred players on each team, but will they be able to actually get the actual kids in the game? I mean, like, are they going to have real faces? Like, is Spencer Rattler's face going to be in the game? And, you know, Trevor Lawrence, like, I mean, if that was, I mean, that would take a lot of, I mean, that's a lot of people. That's a not lot of happen. players. But in theory, it could. I think, I mean, I think if they have rights to all these kids and if the kids say, yeah, it's just, will, yeah. will the game be able to do that? Madden only has that? like 20% of the league scanned in for faces. It's, that's, they're not going to do it. What? Yeah. Really? Yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's, that's actually one of the biggest disappointments of Madden, especially this newer version. Oh is that there are not a lot of scanned faces in the game. Um, the ones that are look really good. Uh, there's just not. like uh, Only like a handful of rookies uh, have their faces scanned into the game. Um, if, like, if, you're, yeah, if, you're a, if you're like a mid-tier player or like down on the depth chart, there's, nobody has faces. In NBA 2K, wow, that every, is, everyone. That is shocking. Everyone. Everyone in the, everyone in the Players Association in NBA 2K has a scanned face. Well, that's what I would have, because that's it was always based on the, the the yeah the PA for everything. I would have never guessed that, because I mean I get that in football there's a lot more players obviously than in the NBA, but still I, I 
No, but there's still there's still the problem. Still the problem in Madden where a, a bunch of guys you know on the teams look the same. Still a problem. Oh my god, that's that's crazy. That's insane to me. So you're telling me that like the backup linebacker for the Chargers doesn't have his face scan? Probably. It's just I mean, I'll, I'll I'll tell you this. I know because you know I usually play with the Colts. Um, trying to think, uh, guys like Darius Leonard, he doesn't have his face scanned in. Um, every every member of uh, of the Colts secondary, none of them have their had their faces scanned in. Um, I'm trying to think. Yeah, in terms of like the Colts defense, the only guys who had their faces were like DeForest Buckner, um, Justin Houston, and like Kenny Moore, and that was it. Um, like I'm trying to think. Like, wow. uh, see here, Naheem Hines didn't have a face. Jonathan Taylor didn't have a face. Uh, Michael Pittman didn't have a face. None of their wow, tight ends: crazy. Jack Doyle, Mo Ali Cox, Trey Burton. None of them. Yeah, it's it's pretty unacceptable. Yeah, EA is. EA is lazy. They they do not produce the best game possible. The like yeah, the because the, you know the sports uh, the sports game that EA as a corporation is most invested in is FIFA because because everyone in the world plays it. Uh, so typically when there's big awesome improvements, it's usually to FIFA, and they they just they have a really loyal Madden fan base in the United States, and people just buy it no matter what. Wow, that's that's shocking. I had no idea that was the case. Um, but uh, yeah, certainly interesting conversation. The the whole video game in subway football, uh, that whole saga, that story. We'll see how that shakes out. Uh, I do want to look at the West of Everest Facebook page real quick. Uh, no, I I read earlier the comment uh, from Nathan. Thank you, Nathan. Uh, also on Twitter, um, Jason. Jason says that. He'd like us to talk about the offensive line potential starters and defensive back potential starters. Uh, Jason, I assure you that as we get closer to spring ball, we will definitely discuss that. We are not prepared to get into that in grave detail at this point. That would be you know, worth your time. Uh, at this point, it would just be kind of general stuff that we remember from last year. And uh, other than that, I suppose uh, our friend Adam wants to know about Spencer Jones in that bar fight, which we have not talked about, but uh, that's a thing apparently that happened. And I'll be honest, I haven't looked into that story much, but doesn't sound very good for him. And um, I yeah, I just because it's an OU football player, I feel like I need to bring it up. But honestly, I don't have many thoughts on it, and I don't know if you have any thoughts on it either, Grant. Because I'll be honest, I haven't even watched the video. Apparently, there's a video out there. I haven't seen it. Uh, I guess he almost lost his eye, which sounds terrible. Hopefully, his eye is as fine as it could be and um there's probably pending litigation there i guess with the law that i don't know maybe there's gonna be uh, some discipline yeah i mean we'll see Who i don't knows? know i mean he like he definitely picked a fight i mean there wasn't oh so yeah, yeah i don't even know that uh like well, i mean it's like i mean the guy who the guy who took him down and and beat the crap out of him like obviously overreacted um you know i wouldn't be surprised if he's in, in some legal trouble but also it's, it's not like it's not like spencer like walked away or anything like that you know he was but I, I, I think, and you don't want to say funny because obviously he was seriously injured in there and it, it sounds like he's going to be okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, if you watch the video, it's kind of because, you know, Spencer, Spencer Jones, is, I mean, he's not, he's not like a massive guy, but he's tall. He's tall. Um, and the guy who beats the crap out of him is pretty little. And uh, it kind of, I, I think it can, and this, I haven't seen this confirmed or anything, but I've seen this around a lot um, that the guy who like attacked him was like a 10 year like MMA uh trainer like veteran. And so it's just like I man that guy's been waiting for that moment his entire like the last 10 years, 
you know, until if someone like goes a little too far and then he can just kind of bow up on them like that. So, um, I don't know. The, the, the moral of the lesson is just, I mean, the moral of the lesson, the moral of the story <laughs> is, uh, just don't, don't get in bar fights. It's stupid. Just don't do it. And so it's like, I, it's like one of those things where like that happened to me. I'm just like, like, what are you doing, man? I would just, I would just walk away. Um, I'm not into that sort of stuff, but, uh, no, it looks like Spencer probably thought uh, this dude was no threat to him, and that clearly turned out to not be the case. Yeah, uh, yeah I think we've learned. Well, we haven't learned this. It's just it's been confirmed. Uh, college kids, college men, uh, and probably women too, to some extent, uh, forever and ever will always be getting in fights at bars whenever, especially if there's drinking going on. And it's not even college. I mean, just people that drink get in fights, and it's just it's what humans do. And it's not a good thing. I'm not saying it's a good thing. I'm just saying it is. It's reality. And I'm not surprised to see college kids getting into some sort of bar bathroom scuffle. And uh, yeah, it's yeah, I guess that's that's all. Again, uh, yeah. I haven't uh, watching the video, man. Just just memories kept fl- just flooding back like it. You know, if, if you didn't know that it was Campus Corner, it's like, man, that that bathroom looked like every single college bar bathroom I've ever been in. I'm just like, ah, oh, man. Those were the days, <laughs> but yeah, you'd be uh if you watch it, man. He Spencer's on the ground quick, man. That dude gets him on the ground quick, and uh, as I say, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm glad he's gonna be okay. But just don't I don't go around picking fights. Just don't do it. It's stupid. We got the NCAA tournament coming up, and it's gonna be, I mean, the most awaited NCAA tournament of all time. Well, hey, considering let's, we didn't have one last year. Well, I mean, let's let's talk about that a little bit. OU basketball is the number seven team in the country, um, and so I just I I do I want to toot my own horn a little bit. Yeah, I know I would never do that, um, but uh, back in November, on the uh, on the West Virginia podcast that we recorded before before the game got canceled, obviously, I made the comment that I was excited for OU basketball this season because I thought they had they had a a really good under the radar chance to be like a sweet 16 type team. And that is, is pretty clearly the case. Um, I, I do think they're a little overvalued. Like for instance, uh, Ken Palm does not like them nearly as much as the polls do. I think, uh, I looked a couple days ago. They're like number 27 in Ken Palm. Um, but I would, you can't argue with the results. They're beating really good teams. And, uh, I think, the the one thing that uh, that clearly stands out to me is that this team has completely taken off the moment that Elijah Harkless got inserted into the into the starting lineup. He's awesome. He is a Kelvin Sampson player through and through. And he he like he, he reminds me, you know, of of the early 2000s OU players. Like he's Darian Selvey. I love that guy. Yeah, I, and I put that on Twitter a few weeks back. And this was actually before I had watched a whole lot of Elijah Harkless. I'd only seen him in spurts and I it, this is before I think it was right when he he, he was kind of st- in the starting lineup and so in my mind he was still kind of coming off the bench which is what Darian Selvey did and by the way if if you're an Oklahoma football fan and you've been around you probably know about Oklahoma basketball as well Darian Selvey was around in the early 2000s uh, but the more I watch Harkless the more I got a couple people push back on me like nah I just don't see it and I, I get it more now as I've watched them play more I mean they play different positions I mean Harkless is obviously a lot more skilled offensively than Selvey was. But I, I, I think in terms of just like you make a good point, he's like a Kelvin Sampson throwback, scrappy, gritty type player that's just a little bit more skilled than Selvey was. And, and the, another big difference, obviously, is that Harkless is starting and 
And, uh, I mean, he was coming off the bench for a little bit, but then he's been good enough to be in the starting lineup, whereas Selvey was kind of uh, a sixth-man type player that came in and, and did a lot of dirty work. Yeah, Selvey's not a, is, is definitely not a perfect comparison. I'm, I'm doing it kind of more in spirit. Where like he's like he he's he's a Darian Selvey type player, scrappy, in your face, good defensively. Um, his really like smart. his number his numbers may not really be awesome, player. but like his numbers may not be awesome. But it's when you watch the game, it's clear how valuable he is to the team. Um, and I, yeah, I I really like this OU team. They're 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 experienced, they're well coached, and I just I, I had a pretty good feeling about the the two transfers that they were bringing in, uh, Gibson and Harkless. I I. I thought those were two really good, sneaky, under the radar pickups, and um, this this OU team, I I, I think if uh, they have a pretty decently high ceiling because they've like none of their guys on the team have kind of played a good game together yet. Nobody is like nobody has had an awesome game at the same time um, because they have they have four or five guys who are capable of taking over a game. Um, it just hasn't you know it hasn't you know happened where they all gel together at the right time and who knows maybe that happens in march yeah no it's a fun team and it's cool that they're good and they're fun to watch and and you would be able to speak to this more than me but is this a kind of team that do they have more potential than that final four team from a few years back no 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 i don't i don't want to get that far um there's i i would say that team, yeah, that team's four best players all would be the best player on this team, I think. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, like, yeah, Buddy, yeah, Buddy Heald, Isaiah Cousins, Woodard, and, and Spangler. Yeah, I think all four of those guys would be the best player on this team. Uh, and I don't know much about this. I know that Dean talks about it a lot, uh, the, the, the defensive side of the ball with Oklahoma. And I know early on, like when I first moved to Oklahoma City, it seemed like OU basketball long Kruger teams they they weren't good on defense but I I guess now this year last year they they brought in the assistant coach and I'm blanking on his name unfortunately but apparently the defense has been better I don't know if that's something you've noticed as well or it's been I mean, it, it's been mostly yeah. since Harkless got there like he's a and so when Hark when they started to start Harkless they went to a four guard lineup similar to that final four team um and uh and yeah their their defense has been a lot better since then just because Harkless is awesome on the perimeter and uh, yeah, I think, and you know, obviously you got Reeves, who is he, he can score, and you know, you know, Manic can get really hot from three. Davion Harmon has had some really good games this season, and uh, you know, Moja Gibson is one of the best three point shooters in the Big Twelve. So I mean, they got, and I, I do think Lee, this team is deeper than that Final Four team. Um, like for like that Final Four team didn't have a guy, uh, like you know, as as impactful as like as like Kirk Quaff coming off the bench or Kirk Queth coming off the bench who is not a great scorer but he's he's a presence in the middle with how long it, how long he is and he can block shots so that uh that 2016 2015 2016 team didn't really have that uh, by the way the assistant coach i was just uh, referencing is jim molinari uh, i know he's known for he's like the defensive guy on the team i know davion Harmon talked about him a few weeks back about it's just boom defense 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 uh and they all love the guy so yeah i mean this Good, good OU basketball talk. I did want to, and this is going to be way out of place because I should have mentioned this an hour ago or 45 minutes ago when we were finishing up our Buki talk. I, I meant to bring this up just to give a, kind of a final context of the 2018 season uh, with Buki. And like I said, I mean, I said he didn't, he didn't have a good year, but I'm not going to dock him as much as maybe I would because everybody else in the secondary also was bad. And it wasn't just the secondary. Linebacking play wasn't great. 
Uh, defensive line at times was bad. So anyways, the, the whole team was, was not good. But I will say, Pro Football Focus, their season grades for 2018, uh, Brandon Radley-Hiles was the lowest-graded player on Oklahoma's defense that year. His rating was 51.3. But when I say that I'm not going to dock him as much as maybe I would because everybody else was bad, Delarian Turner-Yell, who – oh, never mind. I guess he wasn't, uh, he wasn't playing as much that year. I'm trying to – the next starter – the next worst starter was Trey Norwood, and he was at 57.6, So, uh, the, the, which is you know, about six points higher than, uh, than Brendan Radley-Hiles. After that, Justin Broyles was a little bit higher than Trey Norwood. Uh, Parnell Motley was actually in the 60s that year. Looking at starters, Caleb Kelly was at 61, surprisingly. Uh, he was okay. Robert Barnes. He was at 66.5, and I believe that is the highest defensive back rating it is. So, yeah, Robert Barnes, it wasn't just my, my eyes that deceived me. And, like, Pro Football Focus said that Robert Barnes was the best defensive back in 2018 for, for Oklahoma. He was graded at 66.5. The best player, we, you and I said, the best player on the team was what? Neville Gallimore defensively? Not surprisingly, he's the highest rated guy for Pro Football Focus. He was at 82.2. And uh, good call, Grant, with Curtis Bolton. Curtis Bolton was the second highest graded starter at 80.1. So only two starters on Oklahoma's defense graded 80 or higher. And the shock of all shocks, Grant, that's going to actually, oh, I take it back. You know what? I take it back. It wasn't Robert Barnes. This is actually shocking to me. Trey Brown. 71.9 he was the top defensive backs so my apologies to trey brown you were the top defensive back according to pro football focus the shock of all shocks that i was going to tell you not you know i'm not a shock grant because i'm a big big believer in this guy always have been always was kenneth Mann, fourth highest graded player on oklahoma's defense from 2018 <laughs> 73 you know my so kenneth man he, he, was always, he must have been in the right spot a lot. My takes on Kenneth Mann are, are kind of unfairly treated. Um, <laughs> he, like, I, yeah, he, had a, he, was, he was kind of productive in 2017, sort of out of nowhere. Um, that, that, that dude was not a... That, that was not a guy that, that scared opposing teams, is, is all. Um, the, guys, you know, the guys that they have coming off the edge now are, are much better. Much, much better. And uh, Kenneth Murray actually graded out pretty well, 69.8 in 2018. So he, he did make some plays. But I just wanted to kind of give that bit of context. I meant to say it earlier. I forgot. Uh, I, am, I will tell you this, just a tease. Not that it's that crazy, but uh, Buki definitely, his PFF grade improves every single year. He, he had his best year, according to PFF, in 2020. I've already kind of looked ahead. I will say another trend that I have noticed, because they count all the snaps, Every single year, Buki plays fewer and fewer snaps. So that can mean a lot of different things. Uh, in 2019, the way I'm seeing it is that uh, they take him off the field a decent amount, but it's a lot of situations where they're putting him in spots where he can succeed and trying to take him off the field in situations where he will not succeed, which is not what happened in 2018. He was on the field all the time until the very end of the year. Okay. Um, anything else you want to add? Yeah, just one more more thing to add, uh, just because uh, they were nice enough to give us a shout-out. Uh, 
I, I think uh, um, the Inside OU podcast with our friends Brady Trantham and, and, and Keegan Renault. Uh, I would I would recommend going and, and listening to the the second podcast that they did on Buki, uh, just because they they kind of use our discussion as a baseline. Um, and I, I I just think it's a uh, I, I think our discussion. I think you know those three podcasts, their two and our one. You know, I, I think is a is 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 a really definitive look at at, at Buki and kind of how the fan base feels and, and the different sides of it. And so, uh, you know, I, I think at times that Inside OU podcast kind of feels like a companion podcast to hear. Uh, so I, I would really recommend people go check out kind of more of the OU podcast cinematic universe and uh, and, and and give them a listen. All right. Well, then that is our show. We'll be back again uh, in a couple of weeks in March to discuss the latest in Oklahoma football. I'm hoping that by then we have a pretty good idea of what spring practice and what that schedule will look like, and that, that way we can kind of start breaking down what this 2021 team is going to look like. So until then, for Grant, I'm Lee. This is West of Everest.